Hello, welcome to episode two of the Top Corner Podcast. Yes, we've made it to episode two already. Uh, we had a crazy weekend this past weekend uh, with games, um, a lot of controversy concerning the handball rule that has been implemented so far. Um, a lot of great games this past weekend and a lot of craziness. So, I mean, into it. Let's just get into it. First game, uh, we're going to talk about Liverpool versus Arsenal. Coming into the game, most people saw that this was a comfortable win for Liverpool, but what, in my opinion, what this really was, it was a test for Mikel Arteta. Um, Arsenal need to see how far they've gone under him. Uh, he had a, he finally had his own transfer window now. He hasn't been able to make too many of the signings that Arsenal have been wanting to make due to certain uh, obvious factors that have been going on. But um, basing off of this game, if I was a teacher that graded his test to see how far they come, I'd give Arsenal a D. Um Arsenal won. Oh, maybe not a D. I'd give him like a C so far. Uh, but based on just this game, a D. Uh, Liverpool won 3-1, to one, which I think is a fair result for them. Andy Robertson gave Lacazette a goal. He just gets it to them in the beginning. Uh, but three minutes later, Mane was able to equalize, finishing scraps that Leno left for him. Uh, I Personally, I don't think that cross should have ever been even allowed to go in in the first place. But... Then again, Robertson made up for his error. Um, he caught on to one of Trent Alexander-Arnold's crosses, which have been, which were devastating Arsenal since the beginning of the game. Uh, they found him in the back post. Robertson was able to equalize one one. Uh, sorry, not equalize. Uh, give give Liverpool the lead two to one. Trent Alexander-Arnold saw him running. He saw him making his run towards the back post. He wasn't even there yet, but he still saw that run. That's a very good connection. Um, I think out of the all the fullbacks in the world, Liverpool's fullbacks have the best connection with each other, and they kind of already know what the game plan is. They already know what the deal is with each other. Speaking about Trent Alexander-Arnold, his cross... It, his crosses didn't end there. Um, for Liverpool's third goal, he indirectly set up Diego Jota, uh, Liverpool's newest signing. He crossed the ball. It was badly cleared by David Luiz. It fell to Jota, and he volleyed it into the bottom corner. Nothing else to it, even though there was a handball in the butt up, but we'll get to that later. Arsenal tried to switch up their lineup and bringing in Luiz and Mohamed Elneny to kind of, I would say, to match Liverpool's aggression. Uh, I think that this was a bad move. It ended up they ended up missing Danny Ceballos' creativity, which is kind of something that you need when you're playing against a very good pressing team. Um, you need that player that's going to be able to find the pass right away on the counter instead of running with the ball. Because, as you know, passing the ball is a lot faster than running with the ball. Um, you know, Ceballos only played 30 minutes, but he got he registered one key pass and he created one big chance in those 30 minutes. Um, that was the ball that he played through through Lacazette, where uh, it was one he put played him one on one with Allison. But today Lacazette wasn't able to score. Uh, he was really wasteful today, or not today because the game didn't happen today. But he was waste, really wasteful on the day. Um, Arsenal had a very limited amount of chances, and most of the chances that they did have were through Lacazette. Um, if you can saw when he when Ceballos played him through on goal 1v1 with Allison. As you can see there if you look back onto the replay, um there's only one player there. And then on to his left side you have Obama Yang waiting with no one marking him. No one even knows he's there. But if like as it just take would take that moment just to like look up, 
to know his surroundings, to know where his teammates are, they could have easily converted that one-on-one chance into a goal. Arsenal really need to sort their defense. When they played out from the back, which is something that a lot of teams are starting to do now, and especially managers who are trying to um, establish a good dominant team, they managed to create some good chances. Most of the chances that they did make were from playing it out from the back. Um, Mainland Niles, he he had that one good chance. He was offside, but it was a good opportunity uh, when he got in behind the Ripples line. But this is something that Arsenal, I don't think they should be, fo- I don't think their main focus should be to learn how to play out from the back. I think it should be how to make, how to make the defense better. Because even if they are able to score goals, it won't be any good if they can't stop conceding them. I can see why David Luiz uh, played instead of Gabriel. Maybe Arteta didn't want to throw him in stri- into the wolves just yet. Um, he probably didn't want to go, want him play a very tough opposition. Um, you know, only a couple of games in. I can see why he took him out, but that playing David Luis probably wouldn't do any better. He for the for one of Liverpool's goals, uh, he got caught out. He, he went out, he got out of position, he fouled, and then he had to come running back. And by the time he got back to his starting position, um, Liverpool had already crossed the ball, and that's ended up in being I'm, I'm not sure if it was the first or second goal. I was really surprised though that Liverpool did win three to one. Um, Arteta usually sets up his team pretty good against the bigger teams. Uh, as you can see, last season he won over his master, Pep. But Liverpool showed how much room Arsenal have to grow, which is a good thing for them. They face each other again in the Carabao Cup, and that would be my opportunity for Arteta to get his retake test, even though it won't, it's not, even though the game won't hold as much weight as a Premier League. Alexander Arnold showed once again why he is regarded as one of the best attacking fullbacks and crossers in the world. Only in the opening 15 minutes, two of his crosses could have been converted into goals as they both became big chances. He also almost smashed a goal in for himself, but Hector Bellerin deflected it and hit the crossbar. He managed to get an assist, but it could have been honestly a lot more. Um, this, this was, I feel like, Trent's first real full game as himself. Um, this is first is where he registered first assist of the season as well. Um, he took a little bit of time, as did many other players and many other teams, to uh, get back to his full fitness to to uh, to get back to playing like he was used to week in week out as last season. Um, not just him though, even though well for me now considering this game, he show, he I think he's managed to show a lot of people that he probably is the best attacking right back in the world. Maybe not the best attack, maybe not the best right back in general, but the best attacking right back, I feel like he definitely is the best in the world. Um, his crosses are insane. I don't know how he manages to pin. His crosses are very accurate. He managed to pinpoint it wherever he wants the ball to go. And he also is able to see, he's in sync with a lot of his teammates. He already knows where he's going to put the ball, and they know where he's going to put the ball as well. Not just him, though. Allison also played a very big role. Um, he stopped Lacazette in a couple of 1v1s. Even though one of those, well, he was offside, he still managed to make the block anyways, which is very important for his phys- uh, mental mindset. That kind of threw Lacazette off, off of his game, I feel like. Uh, maybe if he would have managed to score that offside, he managed. He would have probably would have managed to score the other 1v1 he had where he wasn't offside. 
Liverpool also took did a very good thing. They took away Arsenal's biggest threat, their biggest weapon, which was Obama, which is obviously Obama Yang. He didn't manage a single dribble shot, and he didn't even get to sniff or look at the goal during this game. Um, this is something that a lot of managers in England do. Um, Frank Lampard is doing it with Timo Werner as well, but we'll get to that later. As uh, soon as they see a striker with a lot of pace, they think it's very easy to just throw him out wide, and they're going to they're gonna be able to make their own luck there. But I feel like that's something that a lot of, Arsenal needs, need, a lot of managers need to start uh, getting away from. One of Obama Yang's biggest strengths is that even if he is pushed out wide most of the time, he'll still be able to get a few chances for himself. Um, Liverpool were able to shut him down. He didn't really get too many touches on the ball. I think he only got like 27, which is the third least out of the whole team. Um, when he plays centrally, he's better because he's able to drift out wide if he wants to, and he's, he has his own chances uh, in between the line, in between the defenders. Now, arguably the biggest thing that happened in the game, the something that was the biggest talking point this whole weekend for multiple matches was Diogo Jota's handball when he scored the goal. That was not even called for review from what I saw. Over this weekend, the madness of the new handball rules spilled all over the games. I'm not going to go too much in depth on this issue because I'm sure wh- whoever's listening to this right now, um, that's all you've heard about and that's all you've seen at the moment of my recording. So, But at the moment of my recording, it just came out that uh, refs were told to be more lenient with the handball. Uh, so hopefully this will affect the next round of games in a more positive way instead of seeing a handball given every every other game. Uh, I think that that rule was ridiculous to begin with. You can see it's th- it's throwing a lot of games off of their pace. Uh, you mean, many people not believe it, but a penalty can change the course of the game. It's happened with a few of the games this weekend. But again, we'll get more in th- more in depth into that later. Now, for the game of the week, for my game of the week, for, I think for everyone's game of the week, uh, Man City versus Leicester. Man City. After searching every single European market, every hiding spot, everywhere for a good center back this summer, after being linked with a couple of world-class center backs, such as Koulibaly and Kunde from Sevilla, City started this game with a backline of Mendy, Nathan Ake, Eric Garcia, and Kyle Walker. A few hours after the game, they signed Ruben Diaz from Benfica in a deal reportedly worth £64 million. And it couldn't have come any sooner for Pep. 33-year-old Jamie Vardy scored a hat-trick at the Etihad and led Leicester City to a 5-2 win. This is not something that I expect, that nobody expect, happen right now. But it's something that I would have saw, I would have expected to happen back in 2015. But definitely not now. No, not to take anything away from Leicester. Um, they deserved all three other penalties that were given. None of them were any of the handball stuff. Um, all of them were straightforward penalties. Not even review was really necessary for them. If you were asked to look at the stats post-game and predict the score, almost no one would have picked the Foxes to win. City had 72% possession, 682 passes, 90% pass accuracy, compared to Leicester's 267 passes, 74% accuracy. 
you would have not been blamed if you thought Pep defensively threw this game just to be sure that his new center back would be arriving. But all three of the penalties that City conceded were straightforward. This is also the first time any team has conceded three penalties in one game. City are often compared to as a machine. Following that analogy, their defense would be the part of the machine that is made up of cheap plastic parts that you have to replace often. I'm not saying that their defenders are cheap, but they are plastic. Um, They've often, every season, their main story is having to find holes to plug in into the back. Last season, the most senior defender in in most of their later half of the games was Fernandinho, who is a midfielder. However, City do have the resources in the team to be able to challenge for the title, but their focus this season should definitely be on the Champions League. Pep has enough has had enough time and players to build a team suitable to his liking and suitable to his own playstyle. The only other manager I can think of that has the same type of that has had the same type of luxury as Pep is probably Thomas Tuchel at PSG, and he. And only P- out of the two, only PSG has come close to winning the Champions League, but even they were considered the favorites last season against Bayern Munich. All right, moving on to the actual goal scorers. Uh, Mares had an amazing volley in the opening four minutes against Leicester, his former team. City's trust in him and buying him really paid off. Most people thought he was going to be a bench warmer and traded his career for the money, but he has improved upon the player he was, and he has always impressed me when I've seen him play. He has an, he's not the main starter, but he has gotten his opportunity, and whenever he has gotten his opportunity, he's made the most of it. Uh, he's been a really good player. He's really improved upon the player that he used to be, and he always has a wonder goal waiting every now and then. Nathan Aske got the debut goal, um, but he honestly looked poor everywhere else. He, every single time the... Every single time Leicester were attacking, they always looked like he was a vulnerability. Uh, no one expected him to be the answer to City's defensive problems immediately, but I think that I've always rated him as a solid defender. Uh, I feel like with a good amount of coaching, he'll be able to become a solid defender. Maybe not the best defender in the world, but he definitely has in, has it in him to become a solid defender. Leicester City who are currently on top of the table, table have started the season off great, being undefeated in all three of their games. Last season, they ended off badly during the project restart. Um, they were in, I believe, third place right before project restart happened, and then they ended up missing out on top four by the end of the season. But they took it to City. I got to give it to them. They took it to City during this game. They made the penalties that they got. Um, they all created them. They weren't gifted penalties. Oh, well, I guess you can say some of the defending in it was gifted, but they all created their they all created their own own chance, own luck. Despite his age, Vardy was very good, and he won. But he actually won both of the penalties that he scored. I think that it's key for him to be able to keep up this form. Uh, I don't know how long, how much longer he'll be able to keep it up because his playstyle does depend on his pace and his movement on the ball, as you can see with both of the penalties that he won. But it. I, Brendan Rodgers is going to find out how to have to find out a way to make sure that he keeps firing on all cylinders so Leicester can have a shot at challenging for top six again this season. Last season, they made they got fifth place, but this season, a lot of teams, a lot of mid-table teams have really reinforced themselves, and a lot of them are going to be trying to challenge for the Europa League, especially considering the money that is involved and considering that a lot of fans still are not allowed in the stadiums. 
um, a lot of teams will be looking to see make as much money as possible, essentially. Liverpool, not Liverpool, my bad. <laughs> Leicester also got seven out of their seven shots on target too. So they made some, they made some mode. They made the most of the chances that they did get. Brandon Rodgers has improved upon the base that was set for him last season. Leicester could have a promise this season again if they keep up the form that they're on right now. Harvey Barnes looked good again. He's burst onto the scene last season. He had a couple of games. He didn't play every game, but now it looks like uh, he's going to get a good running in the team. And I feel like if he does get a good run, he might he might get even get picked up by another team. Uh, he's a really good player. He's young. I think he's only 22 years old. But moving on from Barnes, even I feel like Lester, even if they can't keep up all this form this season, um, the important wins against the big six teams will pay off in the long run. These are the type of games that Leicester City need to be winning if they want to challenge for the top six. They should be expected to win all of the lower league games that they have. Um, but against the top six, that's when their own grit is going to start showing. I'm not sure if Leicester City will be able to beat a Liverpool, maybe. But I definitely, I do feel like Leicester City are definitely a top six team. Um, but then again, there are also multiple top six teams this season. So they're really going to have to start grinding grinding out the wins. Not all of them are going to come as gifted against City as it did, even though um, this was a very uncharacteristic like City game. Also, quick shout out to James Madison for scoring an amazing goal and for winning the final penalty. The game that set the whole handball madness this weekend off. United again looked like they lacked match fitness at but the soccer guards decided to pour the good face on the team. Also, bad karma for Mape's childish celebration. Start off the game, Bruno ironically gave away an unnecessary penalty to open up the game, which Mapai scored. He then set up the, he then made up for it by sending in a good cross from a free kick, which looked like it was something that they might have rehearsed in training. Um it's not something that you see United do a lot. Well, it's something you see United try to uh use these rehearsed uh, free kicks, these rehearsed corners, but most of the time, well, I think this is the first one I've seen um, since Bruno came that they've actually been able to uh, pull off and score. The captain, Harry Maguire, didn't have to do much for the goal. Um, he was, from that from that cross that came in, the ball came to Maguire, uh, it bounced off of his body. He didn't have to do anything, so he scored the, uh, he may equalized the game. Fernandez again, Bruno, showed how important he is to United's creativity by sending Rashford through for his goal right after his previous goal uh, was disallowed. You can see as soon as Bruno picks up the ball, he's already looking up. He's already looking where Rashford is running, and Rashford's already taking off. He already knows the ball's going to come to him. Uh, he did really good to hold up the ball once he got in the box. He, there was a couple of defenders around him. He could have easily panicked and just shot, but he took his time. Uh, he kept a calm, composed head, which is... Not something you see on younger uh, players, but he was able to get his his goal after uh, after getting his disallowed. Now in the 95th minute, United two one up. What was supposed to be the final game, final play of the game, Brian equalized through solid march, who was unmarked to the back post. Finally, the main thing that sent everyone on Twitter into a meltdown, including United fans was that, again, it was supposed to be the final play of the game. And after the final whistle blew, 
Bar correctly intervened and showed that Mapai touched McGuire's headed ball in his arm with his arm in the box. Fernandez then easily put away the penalty. United won 3 1 after the whistle was blown. I think this is the first time in history that um, a game has ended and then they called it back for something like this. I've never heard of anything about it. Uh, again, it just goes to show how crazy the new handball rules are, how VAR, how crazy VAR itself is. But it is what it is. You All you can do is follow the rules. For United, they looked a lot better against Brighton than they did against Crystal Palace, but they weren't good enough. They did. They really did not deserve to take the win today, even if they got two goals disallowed for offside. Uh, Mason Greenwood also got a goal disallowed. This shows that they're starting to improve. Uh, Rashford is starting to find the goal again. He got injured at the end of last season. Um, he was struggling, but now he's been getting goals um even if his other one was offside shows he's been looking for it um he did get hit he finally did get end up getting his goal either way however the biggest problem that united have and have had for a while now is their back line the defense always looks vulnerable during set pieces especially during crosses which is was which was how brian were able to exploit them to get their equalizer now that eric baggy is fit fit um, he just had a great game against Brandon Carabao Cup. He should start. I think. I think he should start against Tottenham. Um, he's always been a good, reliable defender when he's been fit, which has not been often. But when he first came to the club from Villarreal, he was a really good player. Um, a lot of people were liking him to. Uh, they're comparing him to Nemanja Vidić. But my biggest problem is that he's made out of glass. He he's always getting hurt. He's never really had a good, proper, long-term run in the team. Um, as soon as you think he's coming back, he's starting to make an impact, he gets hurt again. Uh, he definitely should be the starting center back over Lindelof. He covers all of Maguire's weaknesses uh, that kind of counterbalance, counterbalance each other out. Uh, by Eric Bailly is very fast. He's very mobile. Um, not saying that Lindelof isn't, but I feel like Eric definitely could keep up with some of the faster players uh, in the Prem. Moving further up, Pogba had another quiet night, which I expected. Uh, he just came back from quarantine after having the Rona, but he'll improve as the season goes. Um, he wasn't able to play against Aston Villa. He really wasn't able to tra- train for the team the whole time, so he's starting off kind of slow, and you do have to remember these players were just playing. Oh, about a month ago, they were still playing games. Uh, or a little, a little over a month ago, they were still playing games, uh, which has been crazy. So... He, he hasn't had a lot of time, but uh, just finished watching the Carabao Cup. He did really good. Uh, he got his free kick against them, against Brighton in the Carabao Cup. Moving on from Pogba to his midfield partner, uh, many people see Bruno as a penalty poacher. It's what everyone tries to get at him. But they fail to recognize how much he actually brings to the table. Without Bruno and the team today, United would have been able to create the chances, the goals that led to the chances that they did. Um, he was the one that sent the cross in for Maguire's goal. He played Rashford through for his Rashford's goal. He's been he's usually at the center of anything good that's happening. Uh, when Donny Van de Beek isn't on the field, Bruno is the one that's controlling everything. Moving on. 
from Brian, uh, from Brian and United game, which was a crazy game. Another one, which is one of the crazier games this weekend, West Brom versus Chelsea. Uh, after uh, Callum Robinson first half masterclass, West Brom were leading 3-0 at halftime. And then the one thing I hate about underdog, about the lower teams, about managers that do this, Savin Bilic, he committed not just underdogs either. Lots of teams do this, and they most end up getting punished. He committed to cliche, and instead of sticking to his play style, instead of sticking what was working to them, he just tried to hold on to the lead. And, of course, Chelsea were able to bring the game back and managed to score three, three of their own goals during the second half. So, 3-3 tie for uh, for both teams. Chelsea deserved this 3-3 tie. Uh, they really thought Brian Diago Silva, they thought he was going to be able to at least try to uh, organize their defense. But, as you can as you can see, the Premier League isn't the same as Liga. Um, Thiago looked too comfortable on the ball. He looked like he, whenever he didn't have the ball, he he looked like he thought he had all the time in the world. Um, for me, he just looked way too comfortable, uh, which is, I most for the most part, it's a good thing in players, but he looked like he wasn't even expecting anyone to press on him, especially during the second goal that Chelsea conceded when he was just big chilling for a bit. West Brom did very good to capitalize on Chelsea's first half mistakes. Uh, however, don't get fooled by that because they have their own defensive issues. Last time West Brom went in the Premier League, they leaked goals like crazy. They were one of the worst teams that were ever relegated, and they were managed by a defensive coach. However, at halftime, leading through zero, this was their own game to lose. 3-0 up at halftime, you should not be conceding three goals. However, on the other side, to be fair to West Brom, Chelsea do have an immense amount of quality in their team. West Brom have not shown that they have what it takes to stay up again, so it's not a big surprise that Chelsea were able to bring it back. They haven't gotten a win in their first three games, including this one, and for me, they're favorites to get relegated. Um my predictions are going to be coming out soon. Uh, as soon as the transfer window closes, I'll be releasing my Premier League tra- predictions, and I still have them last to be relegated. However, Callum Anderson, he, he was with Sheffield United last season. Um, if he's able to keep scoring goals, which probably is not going to be the case each week, they'll have the chance. But if they're able to score goals, that would be more important. That would be the best thing. Uh, of course, obvious advice, but... They need to be able to just keep scoring. Um, they've had trouble with that. Um, they've West Brom have a lot of trouble scoring. Added on top of the fact that they can't stop conceding goals. Now, for Chelsea, it's a classic story all over again. This this game was a game of cliches, all right? Teams will have to start to learn that, no, you can't just buy your way to success anymore like you used to. Having brought over half a team this summer... Frank Lampard should have known that they weren't going to be firing in all cylinders right away. He also should have known that he is able to trust his homegrown players more instead of denying them further opportunities to play. All three of their goals were scored by Academy products, and it shows that they have the quality, but they're just not going to get the chance to show it at Chelsea. Moving on to their one of the new signings, Timo Werner. It's, I think it's unfair to judge him after just three games playing in a team in a different country that is just trying to gel together. 
But I think Chelsea are not setting him up for success. Um, he's shown that he has a pace and control that are needed to get past defenders so far. But what he's been doing, what we've been seeing him do, has been him feeding off of scraps. Just against like Liverpool, um, Timo Werner didn't get too many ch- touches. All he did get were loose balls. But even with those balls, he he all he needed was a little bit of time, take his touch, and here is already off running. Um, however. What I mean by Chelsea setting him up is, again, he needs to get the best. Lampard needs to set him up uh, through the middle. He can't just throw him out wide just because he's a fast player. Uh, against against um, Liverpool, he, he did a lot of good. He may have not scored. They may have not won. But he made a lot of those half chances that a lot of other players don't create. If he keeps, if he doesn't get his playtime up in the middle, if he doesn't get the right kind of service that he was getting, like RG Leipzig, that kind of made him a good goal scorer, which he's not, by the way. He's not a poacher. He's not a good goal scorer. He's a mobile forward. He'll create the chances. But if you just push him out wide and expect him to do something all by himself, expect him to take on a player, it's not gonna, that's not the best game plan to go with to be able to get the win. But that's it for Chelsea. Um, they're favorites to get into the top four. They probably can't get in the top four, considering the amount of quality they have. However, they just need to know how to get the best out of all the new players that they signed. Moving on from them, Crystal Palace, it hurts me to say their name, versus Everton. After Crystal Palace turned into a super team to beat United and win their first two games and fool everyone, they reverted back into the old selves again against Everton, who are turning heads this season. Don Ancelotti is proving all of the doubters and haters wrong. Everton won 2-1 to one this game, um, and I believe that they're really the truth this season. I knew Ancelotti came in. It wasn't his team. Um, he, had that, he had that little time to just... Grind it out until the summer where he's able to start forming his own team. And as you can see, he got the main player he wanted and he's delivering results. For Everton, the phrase player or manager is never the phrase a player or a manager is never bigger than the club cannot be more wrong when it comes to Carlo Ancelotti and James Rodriguez. Earlier I saw a tweet that said James James did not sign for Everton FC. He signed for he signed for Ancelotti FC, which is definitely the point here. Make no mistake about it, without Ancelotti, James would have not signed for Everton, and it would have not made sense for them to sign him anyways, even though they probably would have tried to sign him anyway since they like to waste money on players they don't need. Ancelotti has been the figurehead at the team, leading them to winning all three games so far. Dominic Calvert-Lewis is a brand new player. He's finally rising to the expectations that a lot of Everton fans and regular fans like me have had for him. He's scoring goals for fun. He bagged a hat trick last week, and he has scored in all three of their Premier League games so far. So Everton had a really good game. Um, however, well, not really good. I would say they were able to get the job done. Now, for what overshadowed most of the game, for what kept piling onto the madness, the ball hit Joel Ward's shoulder, what looked like his shoulder or his bicep. Hit shoulder and initially the ref called a corner, but after VAR intervened, 
they called that back instead of a corner. It turned into a penalty. Uh, Richarlison scored. This penalty really killed the game. Uh, it showed that, again, with the handball rule, with VAR, it's really interrupting the natural phase of the game. Um, for me, later on, uh, the ball hit Dominic Calvert-Lewis. It hit his hands. His hands were close to his body. Um, he was farther out. So I feel like if Ward's handball or quote-unquote handball was a penalty, then Lewis's handball should have been called a penalty too. Even though I personally don't think either of them were penalties to begin with in the first place. Definitely, uh, there needs to be a lot more consistency shown when it comes to the handball rule, whether it's good or bad consistency, consistency, but at least to have some type of it in there because for the most part, they're just playing it by the ear and they're not really applying all of the same um, rules to each one. Moving on from them to my favorite manager. I think lots of people's favorite manager. Well, not favorite. Uh, interesting manager, Jose Mourinho. They tied 1-1 with Newcastle. Uh, Tottenham have had a slow start so far to the season. They lost their first game against Everton, which is really surprising for everyone. Uh, then they tied against Newcastle. They won last week. After all of the signings that they, they made and the more signings that they're still making because supposedly they're still in talks to sign the center back uh, before the transfer window closes. So if you can hear my AC, by the way, it's really hot where I'm at and I am burning in this room. So I don't know if you guys can hear it, but it's in the background. Without it, I would not be able to survive right now. Back to the match. Spurs had 23 shots, 12 on target. I believe, I'm not sure how many saves Darlow made during the game, but I'm pretty sure it was the highest amount in any per league, any Premier League game so far. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the number is. I can look that up right now, actually, to see what the exact number was. But 12 shots on target from Spurs. Um, they really just could not finish the game off, even though it completely wasn't them, their fault that Darlow was having a great game. They should have finished it off eventually. Um, Newcastle, for me, in the beginning of the season, um, basing them off of their offseason signings, I thought they were going to be a dark horse this season. Um, I still think they're going to be a dark horse. And what I mean by that is I think they're going to finish above the top 10. Uh, I think they could be a, a top 8 team. They could definitely break into the top 8 if they need, if they keep consistent form. They made some really good signings. Which surprised me because, because considering their ownership and everything that they're going through right now, I wouldn't think that they were able to uh, make some good sense. But they have been. Ryan Fraser from Bournemouth, Colin Wilson from Bournemouth, both Premier League players. Um, I don't think that Newcastle can ask for anything better than that. Definitely, they can't ask for a 20-goal-a-season striker either. All right, Carl Darlow, 11 saves, 7 saves from inside of the box. That man single-handedly rescued the point for Newcastle. But again, the pressure will start mounting on Jose. He didn't have the best team last season. Uh, he was crumbled by injuries. Half of his team was injured at one point. But this season, he got the players he wanted. He got play extra player bail that he, like, he might have not wanted, but he got them. 
Bale definitely coming with a chip on his shoulder. He wants to show the Dan that he's not the one with the problem. I think that he's going to come as soon as he's declared fit. I think that's the reason why he's not playing right now. But I think as soon as he's declared fit, he's definitely going to be able to light up the league. Um, he's going to become a big player for Spurs this season, I hope. However, Jose needs to get his stuff together. Um, so far, Spurs have not been living up to their expectations, I guess. Um, whenever they're expected to be good, they're not good. Whenever they're expected to be bad, they're not bad. Such as the case when they went to the Champions League final, no one believed they were going to make it to the Champions League final. But then again, in my opinion, I feel like the Champions League final was probably one of the worst things that could have ever happened to them so far. Expectations went really high up. Um, a lot of people thought from there that they were going to keep on going. They're going to keep pushing forward, that they were going to be a consistent Champions League team. But then, you know, six months later, Poch is sacked and in comes Brino. Moving on from Spurs. Enough of Spurs. Uh, they're their own shit show. The team that I want to highlight so far, the team that I feel like has done great, that they've really capitalized on themselves, is Aston Villa. Last season, Aston Villa kept scoring on themselves. What I mean by that is they weren't scoring own goals, but they were allowing every single team that they played to score a goal in the last 10 minutes, and they were losing precious points. They were giving away points that they needed to avoid relegation. They narrowly missed relegation last season. Um, they were handed a lifeline. This season is probably their last lifeline that they had, but they've take, taken really good control of that lifeline that they were given. Again, last season... All they did was concede goals. Last 10 minutes, they weren't able to keep any goals out. They weren't able to keep clean sheets. They weren't able to hold on to their 1-2 wins. They would slip up. But now look at them. Fourth in the table. And sources say that they've not conceded a single goal in the Premier League this season so far. Actually, yeah. They've not conceded a single goal in the Premier League system so far this season so far even though there were to play that would have changed if their game against Manchester City would have gone on as scheduled but they haven't uh they beat Fulham 3-0 Sheffield United 1-0 only two games but still for Aston Villa that's really good their next game up is Liverpool um Liverpool are definitely picking up their form they're starting to become the team they were last season uh my opinion Liverpool probably gonna win the league again so their unconceded record is probably going to go down next next game. Fulham, again, I don't think that... I have them down as relegation favorites as well. Um, last, last time they were in the Premier League, what they tried to do was buy a bunch of players that ended up getting them relegated anyways. They had to learn that lesson the hard way. And they're probably going to get relegated again this season. Not much to it. Now... I talked about madness this this weekend. I'm talking about that was the main talking points. Weekend was full of madness. A next crazy game, West Ham versus Wolves. West Ham won 4-0. Jared Bowen scored a hat brace. I don't even know who that dude is. Rocky Mena scored an own goal. And Sebastian Haller, which is not the player that thought they were going to sign, scored in the 93rd minute. 
this season, Wolves were supposed to dominate themselves at the top 16. They were supposed to establish themselves at the top 16. Uh, last season, they looked everything like they deserved to be in the top six, more than Arsenal, uh, even though Arsenal are changing that this season. But more than Arsenal, more than Spurs last season, they looked like they were going to challenge. But I think it just went wrong for them. Uh, they only had two shots on target, even though they had 64% possession. They have 626 passes compared to 367. I think that's West Ham did really good for this win. Um, again, West Ham were they were flirting with the relegation though last season. Um, this season, it feels like they've it, it's been coming for a couple of seasons now where they've they've should have been relegated by now. Uh, they're they've barely been hanging on by their hairs, but. I feel like their luck is probably going to start running out. There's been a couple of seasons where they definitely should have been relegated. Uh, ever, like Again, they peaked when they reached the Europa League. Um, after that, it's all been all downhill as soon as, reached, as, soon as they reached that. Um, definitely this season, if they can't pick up, if they continue the form they were on last season, they're definitely going to be relegated. Um, for me, despite all of the big names, all of the good players that they have in their lineup, it's not a good team. Declan Rice, their captain, might leave for Chelsea, even though West Ham don't want to sign him. He might leave. They have Manuel Lanzini on the bench, Philippe Anderson on the bench, German Lenko, I don't know how to pronounce his name, on the bench. Holler was on the bench as well. Uh, this is just on their bench. They had a bunch of really good individual players, but West Ham just can't seem to get it together. They need to get it together. Um, I don't know what their problem is. They've had the players to be able to go to 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 win matches. They've had good quality in the team, but once you put those players together, is when all the quality goes down. And for me, that's it for all the games uh, this weekend. There's a couple of transfers going on uh, this week for United, especially. We'll move on to transfers. Uh, a lot of heat starting picking up, especially uh, Sancho was and Dembele uh, for Bito Romano, which is the only source you should trust nowadays. He's, he said uh, Dembele might come on United to loan. They're in talks as a backup option in case Sancho doesn't come. The whole reason United are so insistent on loan is because if Sancho does not come this season, he's definitely going to be coming in next season, um, according to sources which is for to Romano. Chelsea, like I said, they're trying to sign Declan Rice from West Ham. Chelsea definitely do not need another signing. They do need a midfield player to hold it down, but they don't need another signing. That would add just more confusing to the team. Um, however, I feel like Declan Rice, he's a Premier League proven player. He's been playing in the Premier League. He's used to the Premier League. It would not be that much of a change for him. So I feel like even though they don't need him, he'd be a good signing for them. However, I don't know if they'll be able to actually sign him from West Ham because West Ham don't want to sell him. He's a homegrown product. United were supposedly in for him, and they didn't sign him either. So we'll see how it goes. But definitely, I feel like Deccan Rice, if he does leave West Ham, they're definitely going to get relegated. Uh, he's been holding it down. He's been taking over from Mark Noble, who's been getting up there in age. But yeah, 
I'm gonna end it off there. Um, hopefully you enjoyed listening this week. Uh, this week was kind of a crazy week, like I said, a lot of great, a lot of games. Um, looking forward to next week, United Tottenham. Um, that's gonna be my game. That I'm definitely gonna be watching. Um, I think it might be the best game so far for the weekend for next weekend. Uh, Everton Brighton is gonna be a good game. And yeah, Man City Leeds Leeds almost beat. Liverpool in the opening game, uh, they lost four to three. But who knows? City are just coming off a five two five two loss, so maybe Leeds can pull some out. These aren't predictions, but they're just what I'm thinking by looking at the matches off the top of the dome. But yeah, I'm gonna leave this podcast there. Uh, thank you for listening. Share the podcast. Comment. If there's anything you want me to change, any constructive criticism, anything that you think I can do better, let me know. Y'all know what the deal is. All right. See y'all later. Thanks for listening to the Top Corner Podcast. Bye.